I, uh, Tim here with a message before the podcast. Due to rights reasons, the songs have been shortened for this podcast. Every song is taken from the Charlatans album, Telling Stories. All tracks are written by Martin Blunt, John Brooks, me, Tim Burgess, <laughs> Mark Collins and Rob Collins. Telling Stories was released on the 21st of April 1997 on Beggar's Banquet. Now, enjoy the podcast. Tim's listening party was a lockdown sensation. Unfortunately, it was on Twitter, which you can't listen to. But Absolute Radio has the solution. Tim Burgess explores seminal albums alongside the artists who brought them to life. Absolute Radio presents Tim's Listening Party with Tim Burgess. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Tim's Listening Party on Absolute Radio. I'm Tim Burgess, and if you've missed any previous listening parties from the The to Texas, Sparks to the Bangles, you 2 to the Kinks... Make sure to catch up by searching for Tim's Listening Party wherever you get your podcasts. I always love hearing from you, so make sure to join the party on... Is it Twitter now or is it X? By tweeting at Tim underscore Burgess and at Absolute Radio using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party. I'm not going to change it to Tim's X Listening Party, but, you know, for future generations. Normally I sit down with another musician to play back a classic album together, but this episode I'm very excited to be doing something a little bit different. This episode, I'm joined by esteemed broadcaster, musician, Mercury Prize judge, champion of new music, and my absolute radio colleague, Danielle Perry. For this, she'll be taking over the interviewing duties of this very special episode of my listening party as I become the interviewee as we go through the charlatans telling stories. You might know about the charlatans, but in case you don't, here's a few facts about us. We've been going for quite a while, over 10 years, over 20 We've been recording since 1990. Uh, our first single was called Indian Rope. There's been a few lineup changes here and there, but essentially me, Martin and Mark have been together writing for the longest time. We've had three number one albums, four number two albums. These are stats that I really don't think about that often, so these are off the top of my head. Um, you know, uh, we've just toured all, the, all over the world for the longest time. And I say long time, we're very youthful looking band Tim Burgess we meet again how are you doing how are you doing Danielle yeah I'm alright thank you you good thanks yeah this is kind of like um, unusual it's like the roles have reversed in a way that, um, we flipped it yeah total honour to be asked to do it actually because I mean I say this often on, on air but when you brought out you know sort of the listening party I yeah. think it totally saved a lot of people it was such a lifeline for many during Covid so uh, yeah it was a right honour to be asked to do this twice because we've done this weirdly once before haven't we yeah we did it in a, in a very hot tent in I was, I was going to say summer but I mean we're in summer now but, um, <laughs> he says wearing his Christmas jumper it was like early summer where it was very hot <laughs> Exactly. No, but it's so, and we're going to talk today about um, telling stories uh-huh. from 1997. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through the album track by track, yeah. and we're going to talk about the creation of it, the origin of it, the recording of it. It was an album of extreme highs and lows for you, wasn't it? It really was. I mean, you know, anybody who knows the band knows that um, during the making of it, uh, our keyboard player, founder member, and uh, and best friend uh, died. Uh, um, in, yeah. in, um, on his way back to the recording studio yeah, in a car crash so um, you know that in itself that's what people think about a lot of the time when we mention telling stories it's certainly what I think about yeah absolutely 
alongside that tragedy, there's some beautiful points on this record where you've paid a beautiful tribute to him. So we're going to highlight those okay. as a positive for his yeah, musicianship yeah, yeah, yeah. and just, you know, what he brought to this record as well. So well, we're going to do that. I mean, you know, without him, you know, we wouldn't have been the Charlatans because it was everybody talked about what an amazingly gifted uh, keyboard player he was and mm. Hammond organ player. He was voted like the best keyboard player in the world uh, by the Rolling Stone magazine in 1991. Mm. Um, uh, you know, he, he was definitely highly regarded uh, by, by his fellow musicians in the music community. Absolutely. The one beautiful thing about music, I mean, there are many things, but the one I think is the longevity and the fact that it remains and we can go back in this as, as a kind of time capsule, as it were. So we're going to just put a date stamp on where we are right now. If we go back to 1996, which I think is when you first sort of started, is that correct? Into 97? Sort of around that time, wasn't it? Yeah. The origins of this record really came um, with the album before. that was a self-titled album. Yeah. Uh, fourth album, Charlatans. And uh, we were kind of hitting a bit of a crest of a wave um, and just when you think things over it had kind of gone into the top 20 and there was an amazing video by Lindy Heyman that people loved and it was you know kind of constantly shown on on, on the television uh, the album went in at number one uh, Charlison's um, and um, we just instead of like putting another single out we just decided to go straight back into the studio pretty much you know touring yeah, aside yeah. and we started writing and the first songs that we wrote were one to another or certainly the riff of One to Another and North Country Boy uh, How High and I think a song called Laughing Gravy which became uh, Telling Stories mm -hmm. so uh, these are all kind of uh, really written off, off the back of, of, of just when you think of things over in a way and, and Charlison's doing so Yeah, well. so keeping that energy going yeah, that exactly, creative exactly. energy going and, too and, Yeah, exactly so you decamped, didn't you, to near Lake Windermere <laughs> yeah. to do some writing. Did, did you like specifically need that space, that vista, do you think, to kind of just really focus in? Do you get easily distracted when you're writing? Was that essential, well, do you think? Well, we kind of... Um, it was always really nice to be able to go away. It was kind of like... Um, you know, it felt like we were on a bit of a mission. Uh, Mark would often buy, uh, you know, a new pedal or a new guitar even, you know, yeah. to sort of like, tell, this talk. is the guitar that we're going to use for this album. Or, okay. Or, or something like that. Um, you know, occasionally we'd take a photographer with us or something like that to document it. And um, we went to like Windermere and, you know, Don't Need a Gun, I think, was written there. Again, Laughing Gravy was written there. What was your setup there? Was it like an eight track? Yeah, like a Tascam, yeah. sort of like an eight track. I'm not sure whether it was a digital one or whether it was still kind of analog at this yeah. point. Uh, if, if if it was digital, it was like very very humble. Humble Digital. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, its own genre now, isn't it? Yeah, humble, digital humble Digital from the 80s. But, um, and we went there, maybe maybe, maybe like three or four days. Uh, our friend Ken from New York came up to visit. Um, he'd never been to the Lake District before. And I think I got a little bit sick. I think I got food poisoning up, up, up there, which wasn't a very good memory. But apart from that, <laughs> it was like we wrote some really good songs. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a really perfect time. And, um, well, not, well, not that bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that wasn't a perfect See, not what you had in mind. Yeah, no, I had in mind. <laughs> let's go. I mean, this is your fifth record, so let's go to the opening track, which is With No Shoes. Tell me about this particular track. What you remember, what's the first thing you think about when you think about this? Well, Windermere. I mean, I've, I didn't mm. mention this one, but we did start with this, and it was kind of like... Um, I was looking at um, an album that I'd brought, uh, Solid Air by John Martin, mm. uh, Mark... Brought, uh, smash hits by uh, Jimi Hendrix and I kind of think that we 
tried to do something a, a, a cross between that, which I don't know how, you know, I don't know whether it worked or not, but it was something kind of quite wah-wah guitar intro and kind of then settles down to kind of quite a chilled out verse and stuff mm. and then would build up. But there's five verses, which we thought was a nice odd number, a couple of double choruses. And my thoughts were that Martin's really going to like this song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a nice thought when you think... Uh, Martin Bond's going to like something. <laughs> OK, let's hit play. This is the opening track on Telling Stories. This is With No Shoes from the Charlatans on Absolute Radio. That's With No Shoes on Absolute Radio from the Charlatans. This is a, a listening party, a special, where me, Danielle Perry, I'm interviewing Tim Burgess for this. Now, you were just talking about uh, the opening track from Telling Stories and yeah. about the format of it, five verses, double choruses. <laughs> and I th- you, you grinned when you said that. So do you sit yeah. back sometimes and look at formats and really the craft of songwriting? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we were quite proud of the middle. It's not a middle eight. Of just when you're thinking things over, it's like a middle thirty or something like that. Okay. And, and and yeah, I mean, it's not really kind of like uh, rewriting history or anything like that. It's just kind of like doing things that make you feel satisfied as a songwriter. Yeah, just playing around yeah. and kind of pushing yeah, and exactly, pulling with format. Exactly, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. And, 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 and with no shoes, it was one of the first songs written for the album, and the, it was the very last one finished. Um, okay. We couldn't quite find the groove. Um, in, in all honesty, we had three keyboard players who played on it. Um, Tony Rogers uh, mm. played. Uh, he he joined at the very end of the making of this album. Uh, Martin Duffy played on it, and mm-hmm. Rob Collins played on it. So it's kind of like quite a quite a thing and quite an opener. Um, but also we had Richard Marsh from Bentley's Rhythm Ace yeah. uh, providing some rhythms, um, and also Tom from the Chemical Brothers walked in at the end and said the rhythm's not right. Uh, and within 10 minutes, the rhythm was right. Okay. So what did he do then? He kind of added the main kind of like, I'm going to call it a, a slap beat. You okay. Know, it was kind of like with the opening beats. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that was his. I asked him how he wanted to be credited, and, and he just said loops provided by. And, wow. and I thought it was kind of a nice... Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Nice, nice, unassuming way to say that I saved the song. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to talk about the collaborations on this record because um, Tom pops up later on as well and, of course, Martin Duffy too. So we'll talk about that later yeah. on. But I remember seeing, you know when PJ Harvey did that installation in oh. Somerset House when she was I writing mean, the album, you could yeah. go and watch. I found that fascinating. Yeah. And when I was there, she said, I'm, I'm going to ditch this because it's not making me move, which I thought was kind of interesting with the groove and stuff. So Interesting. Yeah. yeah I mean, I was wondered about, you know when the Beatles were filmed as well and yeah. I mean, how kind of well they looked like they were having fun <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, not yeah. all the time but you know it's kind of it's it's quite strange you know to be watched while you're in the studio mm. must be quite yeah a bit of a hamster cage maybe yeah. North Country Boy comes next yeah. uh, when we did this live as soon as I mentioned that the crowd screamed and everyone got on their chairs I mean this turned into a massive anthem didn't it it's it a, really is a massive anthem it still. really is um, I don't know why we felt it was a departure but it did feel like it at the time 
Once uh, or another was always kind of thought of as being like the first single, and, mm-hmm. and 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 I think even though you know that was kind of us moving on a little bit, I think it kind of fit with like the only one I know, and maybe then it was like something of of a real riff that was kind of carrying the song. And North Country Boy, it was very much like a song song. Uh, so I guess in a if we're talking about in traditions of, um, I would possibly say that it it kind of came somewhere. Like the same place as can't get out, can't get out of bed or something like that. Sure. Maybe it was a very songy song, and we felt kind of nervous about putting it out. I'm not sure whether everyone was convinced. You know. Okay. How did you feel about putting it out? I loved it. I mean, I I, I was a very major part of writing that song. <laughs> <laughs> I hope none of the rest of the band uh, mind me saying that. But I mean, you know, I, I, I you know write the lyrics and the melodies for most of most of them. You know, um, but lyrics for all of them. But on this one, you know, me and Mark really, we really tried to sort of like focus on Simon and Garfunkel and quite a little bit of uh, the Stones as well, I think. So mm-hmm. mixing those two things together, you know, obviously it's, it's amazing that these people came before us and offered us yeah. sort of like, you know, mantles to, yeah, yeah, to, to absolutely. take and grab hold of and, and try to do something with what people had given before. Yeah, sure. I think obviously as well in the mid to late 90s, I mean, Everyone was so up for a songy song as well, weren't they? Yes, like these gorgeous so, yeah. like songwriting and anthems that you see yeah. from like the Manix Oasis. But, yeah. you know, you know yeah, there was lots around. Those I anthems mean, were well received, I think. Weren't they? Yeah, and I suppose like with telling stories, there's like you know chemical beats, you know, provided, yeah. by, provided by Tom, and 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 then songy songs. Um, North Country Boy lyrically was very much about. Um, you know, I was kind of listening to a lot of Bob Dylan at the time and he had a song called Girl Girl from the North Country and I thought that's really interesting, um, you know, that I was kind of from the, uh, the suburbs or something like that, but up north and I thought, I wonder if I was, could be that, you know, the North Country boy and, and sort of like talk about my experiences and my losses or my, my gains or whatever, or my life. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a, you know, a, a nice flip, really. Absolutely. Let's hit play. This is North Country Boy from the Charlatans on Absolute Radio. We're going to go straight into the title track, Telling Stories, yeah. uh, right now. We need to mention Tom Rollins again, don't we? Here. We do, actually, yeah, because um, it, Tom supplied loops for this one, too. Uh, I think pro- produced this one, I think. Written, for the most part, you know, in the Lake District, uh, Windermere. But then it was kind of coasting a little bit, and Rob and John had been talking about it quite a lot. Rob, Rob really liked the idea of this song, but wasn't convinced about the Windermere version. He he had this idea that I would change the melody mm-hmm. um, quite a bit, and the melody that is on the song is the one that he suggested. Okay. He also had the idea of the kind of break between verses and choruses, and it was like a, a guitar and drum section, and you know I'm not going to mime it uh, or, 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 <laughs> or kind of mouth it either. Um, but uh, uh, oh, go on then. So. Yeah, I will do. Um, <laughs> this was pre-digital, and yeah. we had to edit the tape and record a section um, of, of John and Mark and Martin d- 
doing that and then insert it into the track. Okay. Um, so it's very admin. <laughs> it was really complicated, and Dave Charles was our engineer at the time, and it's it was an incredible skill to be able to splice through a 24 track tape two inch and insert another piece of two inch into into it and get it all timed right yeah. without the use of computers or pro tools or anything like it's that. It's literally so cut and paste it's but with cut and paste, physical, like, like yeah. tangible yeah. tape. Yeah. Essentially, isn't it? A little razor blade and it's hard <clears> to imagine <throat> how complicated it was, but there's no way that engineers then in the nineties, you know, it's not needed now really because of you know, obviously because of Pro Tools and things like that, but no one probably would be able to do that now. When you go to such efforts with something like that back in the day, yeah. and yes, back in the day, yeah. do you stick with your decision a bit more? Now it's so easy isn't it, to keep going, keep going. Maybe I can get it better and better and better, but if, it's, if you go to that much effort, yeah. it's very hard to undo, isn't it? There's not that much going back, no. Yeah, it's um, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think we could have probably glued it back together... <laughs> and have it the way it was but we weren't satisfied with it so we knew that something had to change and, and it was a really good idea and we all had to be behind it yeah sure. you're right you can't just like practice it and sort of like you know we all had to be behind the idea so it's a good question and I don't know whether I've answered it very well no, you but, have but, but, it's but, interesting yeah, yeah. to see yeah you wouldn't abandon yeah just think that's an interesting part of like getting your ideas down with limited kind of I mean it must have been the same for like the Beatles and looking back and the Stones and stuff yeah yeah. yeah just it's down and if you really want to change it, we've all got to sit down and spend the day doing it. And Tom, you know, I mean, Tom was there sitting in... This was actually in Mono Valley studio, and he was there, and, and I, I think he provided... I call it, like, the cello section, and he really liked me counting... You know, there's a count at the beginning, and I was counting from one to ten to because I thought that was an interesting intro, length of an intro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I only kept one, two and nine in for some reason, which just to make it a little bit more removed from uh, the norm. I love that about you. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh... <laughs> it came out as a single. It was our fourth single off, off the album, which, you know, we'd never done anything like that before. And, um... and the title track. Why the title track? I like the idea of the album being called Telling Stories, so much so that we changed the name uh, Laughing Gravy, as it was formerly called, to Telling Stories. But Laughing Gravy was uh, the name of the dog in Laurel and Hardy, so, um, which is it's probably, <laughs> you know, noting. it's already been used. There you go. Uh, but, you know, Mark was a big fan, and uh, so much so that he called his son Stan. So. Well, there we go. Full circle. Here it is. This is Telling Stories on Absolute Radio. going to go straight into one to another another huge single <laughs> off off the record and um i read when i was doing the the prep for this that you use quite we were just talking about studio techniques but with this one as well yeah. lots of stuff that you picked up from working with flood um in yesteryear is that right what i've read um i i mean flood was like one of the best producers that the band i've ever worked with mm -hmm. um we actually went into the studio with not that many songs and not 
you know, we were kind of a bit fried, really. Uh, second album, mm. uh, Between 10th and 11th. We've just toured it in America between 10th and 11th. But up until that point, I think yeah. we'd all thought of it as being kind of like um, quite a difficult second album. You know? Yeah, sure. The classic difficult second album. Weirdo was our biggest hit in America. Yeah. So there was, there was always that um, that kept it alive for us. But always thought of it as being um, an unusual one. But I think what happened is after that album, people see it as a shoegaze album. People see it as a kind of industrial album. But it's kind of electronic as well. And I think <laughs> we went from that to being back to basics we wanted to sound like up to our hips charlatans and leading up to telling stories we've kind of gone back to basics yeah. you know um, some friendly everything between 10th and 11th electronic album and then back to how we sounded in the rehearsal room with, sure, with more guitars so we kind of tried to rebuild ourselves basically dismantled and, and rebuilding And but by the time we got to telling stories you know we thought we'd just embrace everything and yeah. with, you know with Tom and Ed I've been going to um, the uh, social on Great Portland Street and uh, pretty much went, I think I went to everyone. And Tom and Ed were the DJs. Uh, they were called the Dust Brothers at the time. I wrote a song with them on their first album when they became the Chemical Brothers called Life is Sweet. Often cited as like being, yeah, one of their best. Um, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> take it. Uh, uh, and uh, and um, we began collaborating together quite a lot. They did like a handful of remixes. Mm. Uh, I, I've done a couple of songs with them. Uh, we were friends, uh, been in videos together. And Tom came along in, in the early sessions and really loved the riff for one to another and just added stuff, you know, just kept adding stuff to, to, to it. And I think there was like an exchange of, sort of like sending stuff back and they certainly did a, did a fantastic mix of it that blew up the speakers um, when we played it back. Um, so we kind of had to kind of not reject that one. That's the wrong word. It's a bit harsh, but we had to kind of like take a little bit of the edge off it. Or else, yeah, yeah. Or else, you know, would have blown up the radio, you know. Um, totally. So we did a mix. I think we both kind of like came to a compromise and that was the actual version that went out and we all agreed it seemed like a compromise at the time but it was the, 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 the right version it was like part garage part electronic total northern soul modern northern soul record and 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 just blew everybody away and still to yeah. this day now it's it's like a huge song in the set oh totally and and when you dj out live or every time we play it on air and stuff you always get reaction back oh, to fantastic. it it's this unifying moment especially lyrically that i think oh, yeah. isn't it that everyone can just just kind of pin themselves to and their past experience to one to another system but I mean it's just so unifying it was it captured I think the 90s perfectly right, in that well, instance well that's, that's amazing I mean it, it, it was a big talked about song um, and I think the idea of, of the collaboration between the Chemical Brothers and the Charlatans which mm. is you know how people talked about it at, yeah. at, at the time and you know was essentially true um, you know it just kind of like really I don't know just really took people somewhere else I think and and um, the Be My Spider Woman I'll Be Your Spider Man is still the biggest lyric that gets sort of sang back at me is it? Uh, um, you know during during a, a gig yeah yeah that's so nice Tim's really smiling and I, I sometimes think this is me with audio you've got to kind of explain what's going I mean we'll okay. do a video of this as well but you, you're just thinking back to it it's so nice to see let's play it right now this is One to Another from the Charlatans on Absolute Radio
One to Another on Absolute Radio from the Charlatans. That was the first single, wasn't it, from the yeah. album, I think, wasn't it, Telling Stories? Yeah. Number three in 1996. You were just talking about being in the social, which is Great Portland Street. For those who don't know where that is, that's just behind Oxford Street in central London. Yeah. It's like it's a beautiful space and it's in a basement under a bar. You know, what was it like being there in the sort of mid to late 90s? Because this is where, you know, London, Camden, North London, we were ruling the world, weren't we, in terms of music? What was the energy and atmosphere like then? You know, it started off as, I think, a very small thing. It was like, you know, Robin, Martin, Jeff uh, and Chloe from Heavenly and mm. Tash. Uh, they all kind of like came up with this idea to have a have something... And, you know, we're talking like the, the 90s, so it's, people won't, won't believe it. But, it's not, you know, it's something that went on from like 6 o'clock till 10 o'clock when, or 10.30 when the pub shut, right? Yeah. And that's what happened on a Sunday. And and uh, and um, the resident DJs were uh, Tom and Ed. There's plenty of other people who, who, who DJed there too, including myself. On the first night, you know, they were all like hand flyers and stuff like that. Um, I think it was like half full, maybe. I don't know how many people it held, maybe 200. Mm, yeah. Um, and then the second week, there was like queues around the block. Uh, so it kind of like, it, it really happened overnight. But for me, I'd kind of grown up with this mecca in Manchester, the Hacienda, you know, mm. so I'd, that was like my musical mecca. And for me, it was like the, the best thing since then. And I, I kind of missed the Hacienda, the kind of like the, the music. You know, there'd be me beat Manifesto one minute and then the next minute it'd be the Beastie Boys and then after that it'd be like the Rolling Stones and then um, Orange Lemon, Dreams of Santorana and, and uh, you know, a, a new Manic song uh, sure, uh, yeah. remixed by Andy Weatherall or, or you know, so, or, yeah. or remixed by the Chemical Brothers or, uh, you know, so it'd just be like things that all connected but you had no understanding of why they connected but why question it, you know. Yeah, totally. And did you feel when you were playing festivals, and I mean, there was things like Phoenix Festival that doesn't, oh, it's yeah. not around anymore. Do you remember yeah. that in the 90s? And yeah. It was just Reading back then. It wasn't Reading and Leeds. And so when you were playing these festivals, did, the, did it feel like something very special was happening within the 90s, like the whole bigger picture? How, what was the energy um, like doing that I mean, and playing this album out? Well, I mean, we did do um, One to Another and North Country Boy. We played that uh, those songs at Nebworth. So I think Rob died maybe a couple of weeks, maybe two and a half weeks, I think, before uh, Nebworth. That was with Oasis. With Oasis, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and, and so I guess that was like the pinnacle of the 90s, wasn't it? Kind of like, you know, a couple of nights at Nebworth and some massive, uh, all the bands playing, you know, Chemical Brothers, Prodigy, Charlatans, Mannix. Mm. Um, and um, so we... Played those songs out first. Playing, playing that. I mean, playing festivals is is, is is always great. I mean, the best place at a festival for me is on stage. You know, but the you know these songs were certainly resonating and really just really felt that they were anthems of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. We're going to talk about Rob next. Yeah. Um, after we do, you're a big girl now. Okay. Um, I read that there. <laughs> I read somewhere that there was drawing pins put in the piano when you were. Is that true? That's true. On this yeah, track? that's true. Uh, well, um, because uh, Martin Duffy played the piano on that one. This is or, Martin Duffy from Primal Screen. Yeah, yeah, so he played on that. And basically what happened is after Rob died, uh, I got a phone call from Jeff Barrett from Heavenly. And he said to me, um, so are you going to do Nebworth? This was the day after Rob died. Gosh. And uh, I was like, 
well, we would if we had a keyboard player. Mm. And he said, well, um, I'm going to suggest Martin Duffy. He's up for it. I've already asked him. And you should do it because I've had experience with this before and, and, and it's kind of like, you know, if you take time off and, you, you know, let a gap come between sure. you, you, you and, and, and what you do, then it's so much harder to sort of like start up again. Yeah. So he said, get into a rehearsal room with Martin Duffy. Everybody knows he's a genius, you know, mm. uh, you know he was a genius. And do it and do Rob Proud and yeah. do yourself proud and, and, uh, and, and continue with... And that was like such a massive thing, really. I doubt Jeff knows how, how massive it was. Um, and I doubt Martin Duffy will ever know how massive it was. But, you know, he was our angel, you know, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and it brought some of Rob's songs to, the, to a huge crowd as well, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it? he played Weirdo. We played, like, yeah. you know, uh, The Only One I Know. We did uh, One to Another and North Country Boy. And it was incredible. And, and basically what happened is that Rob's death kind of made us all feel, like, really, obviously, hugely emotional. I mean, I heard One to Another on the way to the hospital. You know, me and Mark were, we, me and Mark were, yeah. were, were, were driving to the hospital together. We were told about him, in, we thought, in past tense. We didn't know, we weren't sure. But we were driving there and, and the single was about to come out and we heard it on the radio and Gosh. I heard the lyrics and I was just like, I've got a cold shiver now, uh, even talking about it. But it was like, oh my God. Oh my gosh, he's, he's he's really he's dead. You know, I just knew before we even got there, mm. and, and maybe we'd been told. Who knows? You know, the past tense thing. Yeah. And we parked up. We were on double yellow lines. Um, I stayed in the car. Mark ran in, and it literally was back within like two, three minutes. Oh gosh, he said he's dead. So um, then the phone call from Jeff um, the day after. It was only me and Mark and Rob at the studio. Um, John and Martin came the day after we got the phone call, um, did the gig. We were all completely deflated after the gig, even though we knew we'd, we did it. We did ourselves proud. Uh, the crowd was hugely emotional. People coming up to us crying uh, 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 you know, after we'd done it. Uh, we felt like we'd done a really, you yeah. know, done ourselves proud. Um, but then there was a album that was like 60% finished, you know? Mm-hmm. And Martin, you know, he was just like hanging with us now because he'd been hanging with us for two weeks, learning the songs. Yeah. Said he'd help us finish it if we wanted, which it's like, oh, wow, that's, yeah, you know. Let's and he'd do been that. through such a difficult time with you, hasn't he? Yeah. You know, those past two weeks and doing the. Yeah. yeah, yeah, building up to actually playing. And then, you know, we it was a real gradual thing from yeah. not knowing the songs to sort of like thinking, oh my, you know, we could do a set. Yeah, we could, we could do know, this, could, yeah. And then, and then we were, I think we rehearsed at Manchester Academy on the last day before. You know, it sounded fantastic. And, you know, we had a mini audience with us, I think. It was sort of really sort yeah. of spurring us on. So obviously, we all went back to the studio and. We hired a piano and Martin took keyboard, uh, uh, drawing pins in the keyboard. Of course right. he did. Of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play this track right now. Uh, you're a big girl now. Ooh, you're a big girl now. 
We were just talking about drawing pins in the uh, piano. Martin Duffy, you said you got more on this chat. Tell me. Uh, well, you know, it, uh, the title kind of came from um, a Loving Spoonful record, and I think it was kind of, you know, a nice... You know, nice to have American influences in in, in Britpop. Mm-hmm. You know? um, yeah, totally. And, uh, uh, so it was very kind of like Loving Spoonful. The kind of like, do you believe in magic was a heavenly? What, what, what would you call it? Like, mantra. Uh, mantra kind yeah. of thing. So Loving Spoonful kind of came from them, not really. Um, and you know, I just started listening to them, and there's a song called "You're a Big Girl Now." So kind of called one of our songs that. I mean, it had obviously resonance with, uh, you know, emotionally what I was going through at the time. But Mar- Martin just like, he was very much into the kind of like. He, he threw a Chaz and Dave aspect, <laughs> which anyone who knows Martin Duffy would understand. And and yeah. um, and I, I really wanted to get that across in this interview that that he came along and sort of like started playing pub piano, and, yeah. and that's what they used to do in in, 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 in pubs in the East End. You know, sure. uh, uh, kind of uh, you know put drawing pins in the back of the piano to get a, a brighter sound, yeah, or a different sure. sound. So you know, the piano company who we hired it off weren't thrilled. Thrilled, but um, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, uh, I think we got away with just a few velvet pads uh, replacements. They totally could have. <laughs> had they have thought they could have auctioned it off, surely for yeah, more than they paid for it. Oh man! Oh, that's a nice story. I like that. And there's a, there is an absolute beauty to um, East End pub piano. Yeah, isn't there? and this... when Robin from uh, you know who was doing our press at the time came along, he said, you know, um, it's an album full of bangers. Even the ballads are bangers. Yeah. Absolutely, so true. Um, we're going to talk about How Can You Leave Us Now, which is where I was going to mention Rob Collins um, again. Okay. Um, I don't know, I always kind of think of him when I listen to this track on the on the record, and obviously Rob's theme at the end. Yeah. Um, what would, What's the first thing you think about when you think about this particular track? Well, um, it, it, great keyboard playing by Rob. Yeah. But um, the, um, I hadn't finished the lyrics, really. Um, uh, you know, it's a guide vocals. So I wrote them post um, post his death. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of like, you know how it goes really when you're emotional. It kind of like you think you have a, a lid on it for a minute and then all of a sudden it just comes pouring out and that, it, the lyrics were kind of, you know, um, mm. were that really. Yeah. Uh, uh, an outpouring of emotion uh, when I least expected it and... Uh, how do you uh, find talking about it now? Because it's very hard to talk about, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to talk about, and it's hard to be uh, talk about it appropriately. And in this sure, instance, yeah. and, 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 you know, I mean, if I was in a different situation, I'd, I'd be less, <laughs> I'd be less conscious about it, I suppose. But yeah, um, you know, it, it, it was a violent death. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it was uh, an unfair death. Un, un, you yeah, know, really fast and sort of like you know, I mean. Got out of the car and was walking around, and you know, and it, 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 it was um, the first people there were, were like uh, Lisa and Kingsley from from Rockfield, yeah. you know, and it, it's like the ambulance was there, and our, our engineer couldn't get home because there was like you know traffic and stuff like that. And he didn't know what it was, and he called us from just because he made his way to see right. it, and there was an ambulance outside yeah. of Rockfield, and he didn't know who it was, and it was like, you know, it's just all <laughs> very brutal you know I mean obviously death is brutal but I mean yeah, yeah tragic and brutal and yeah, awful yeah. yeah but this was kind of like just not what you know I mean I knew it was late but uh, yeah yeah well let's let's play this track right now and let's everyone listening to this across the country <laughs> and the world um, hone in on the incredible keys oh yeah yeah let's yeah, play it right so now great. this is How Can You Leave Us from the Charlatans
going to carry on, Tim, by talking about Area 51. <laughs> okay. If that's all right. I remember in the 90s really getting so into Roswell documentaries. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. loved it so much. But tell me about this. Where, where was this? Was this a Windermere writing session or was this no. in Rockfield? No. Um, so Rob started going to clubs yeah. uh, a lot in Bristol. And we kind of like work, you know, normal kind of like rock and roll hours, you know, like <laughs> yeah. midday to midnight or something sure. like that. But then he'd come in at midnight and start working through the night until midday. So it's like he would do his own thing. Mm-hmm. So much so that we had to uh, get another engineer <laughs> to work with him, uh, you know, at this, uh, at Rob, Rob, Rob Hour, you know. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> he kind of created this song in a way, through going to clubs and coming back and, and, and working with his mate. And we'd wake up and sort of like hear what he'd done. And it was left for us. I mean, I don't really know. I mean, I certainly didn't play on it. Mm. Uh, the only thing I gave it was its title, um, mm. which, can, which came later um, through me and Martin Duffy watching documentaries on Roswell. Yeah. And... Um, writing to the 14 times and sending spoof polaroids of of, uh, <laughs> of uh, car hubcaps going through going through the Monmouth skies <laughs> and uh, uh, and um, so we we uh, send them in and we were just obsessed with like uh, you know uh, um, Atlantis and you know and and uh, uh, Antarctica and sort of like Roswell and Area 51 and 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 we called it Area 51 because it sounded like when we heard it back. I only heard Area 51 after Robert died. Okay. Really, in its entirety, and I just thought it sounds like an aliens playing the, the Hammond organ. <laughs> sounds like it's come from outer space. Uh, let's call it. Area yeah, 51. right. And I think when we spoke about this before, yeah. and we I think we we were doing this off mic, we were talking about all that time he spent in Bristol, and maybe he'd brought back some of that Bristol magic. Yeah. To oh, it. Yeah. Do you remember? And well, it was all about, I, yeah, the, tri- the tricky, the massive attack, yeah. all that trip pop and that was so prominent in the 90s. It it really made its mark, didn't it? As yeah, well. and I didn't think about that at all. Um, but y- you're, you're right. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. I love it. So this is Area 51 from Telling Stories on Absolute Radio. Right, Tim, we're going to go straight into How High, another absolute tune from the record, which still makes everyone leap off their seats, as we saw for ourselves when we did this a few (laughs) months back. Uh, Tell me, I did read that you were listening to quite a lot of Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, um, my friend actually um, interviewed um, Method Man and Raekwon, an ODB in... um, Germany, I think, and and mm. she took uh, a copy of, of How High before it came out to play to uh, to play to Method Man because um, he had a song called How High, and it was kind of like I wanted to try to rap, <laughs> really. Yeah. And uh, she played it him, and he and he and, and he thought it was cool, so that'll do me. What were your seminal record like, sort of De La Soul and Wu Tang and stuff like that? What was what was your seminal record that you loved as a fan of theirs? Um, well, I mean, from De La Soul, I mean, I, I really loved the first three, uh, especially. I mean, I, I do like Sticks is High as well, but those are the main ones for me. But uh, with uh, Wu Tang Clan, 
I guess only built for Cuban links was amazing by Raekwon. Certainly Wu-Tang Forever was, I mean, I, I just thought that was an incredible piece, piece of music. Quadruple album. It's uh, a lot of work in that, isn't there? Just a lot, lot of work. And, you know, I mean, I, I really loved, um, you know, ODB's solo album too. Yeah. There's some great inspirations to this record when you put them all together. Wu-Tang yeah. Clang, John Martin, John Martin Jimi Hendrix. I mean, they're all quite different, <laughs> but it all fuses together. Yeah, and I mean, how I, was, how I was just an amazing track. We always thought that, I mean, because there's elements of like um, Sergeant Pepper in there as well, which mm-hmm. um, I remember Mark coming, I was living in uh, Chalk Farm at the time and Mark came down with his with his eight track and we, I think we were like, this. Included in the song, as well as the rapping, there's elements of uh, Dexter Midnight Runners and elements of Zuma uh, by Neil Young, uh, mm. Zuma era. Um, and, um, you know, it's just kind of like, just a big, kind of like a soup, really, of, uh, of influences. But I think it's a really great one. Uh, the video was incredible for that one Lindy Heyman uh, used a drone for yeah. uh, I think the first time that it was used in a, a video or you know certainly very early time and, and she was kept flying this drone to us and I, I'm not sure whether anyone really knew how to work it <laughs> I think we got the drone but not a drone operator or <laughs> just trying to work it out <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it was replaced by a crow in the video which was a tribute to Rob really um so the crow was flying at us, but it was really the the drone, and we were all, you know, a bit hungover from the night before, so we were all really paranoid and, and oh a bit God. scared, and and, uh, and the crow was really expensive as well, uh, uh, you know. So hiring hiring animals is, you know, it's, it's expensive business. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's a nice nineteen nineties um, budget, isn't it, for a music 1990s video? Budget, yeah. I mean, I got a jacket from uh, that, uh, you know, that kind of. Um, it's a different story, but I mean. I think there's lots of Charlotte's fans with with, with uh, copies of that jacket now. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. There was one when I think we we last <laughs> yeah, met. So. Someone just standing there, way yeah. um, in it. Um, this is a brilliant tune. We play it often here on Absolute Radio, but let's play it again very loudly. This is "How High" from the Charlatans. out onto track 9 of 11 we're getting through this very quickly yeah. and I don't want this to end we're going to talk about only teething and I've got in my notes written here yeah. Motown influence in a city blues Marvin Gaye yeah yeah I mean for sure again sharing music was all I really cared about you know and, and uh, mixed CDs that I'd pass on to you know some Sean Rowley or, or Martin Kelly or Ed Simons you know uh, we'd just be sharing music and me and Martin Kelly from, from Heavenly went to DJ with with uh, Tom and Ed in, in Malmo and, and Stockholm and you know they only wanted us to open up for them as DJs because we had like you know interesting music mm-hmm. taste and it would be you know Marvin Gaye or Barry yeah. White or Beastie Boys or New Order and stuff you know just just good, an good records mix. really eclectic records yeah. and and we just share musical influences and and yeah I mean. It, I wanted to write an album that was as important as um, 
what's going on of course I did yeah. absolutely I mean absolute bona fide classic <laughs> for a reason but as has telling stories become you know so. yeah, also, um, also you know lyrically let's talk about that in Only Teething was that sort of have I interpreted this right as what was sort of going on in London at, at that point yeah maybe I, I think I think so I think um, you know there's lots of up and coming bands and stuff like that and mm. people you wanted to share stuff with and people who were nervous about being around me sure. uh, or yeah, people yeah. who you know or, or whatever really um, but I think it was just like such a there was just bands in every bar you know and, mm. and uh, just people you could hang out with and it was just really good fun I mean mm. um, do you think that's lost a bit now with being online uh, I don't know I mean I, I certainly don't go into pubs anymore so I mean I wouldn't know yeah yeah, it's hard to see how that culture shifts because I mean I remember back then it was like every corner, especially yeah. in Manchester yeah. and Glasgow and London and Chalk Farm and Bristol and Chalk Farm. <laughs> yeah, exactly, all of those up there. Yeah, so but I mean by not going into pubs, I mean I I, I just don't know whether uh, it's kind of you know where music is born comes from a different place now. Yeah. So I mean, uh, uh, but that's where it was certainly being. Um, yeah. That was where the origins were coming from, really, yeah. and. Uh, in, in the mid nineties, I think with only teething, um, it was, you know, we we were certainly trying to make uh, a record sound as good as what's going on, or a track as good as Inner City Blues with that one. You know, Tom changed the sound of the the um, congas, certain, certain production things that he kind of really elevated. Yeah, I'm really thankful for that. Perfect. Let's hear it right now. This is only teething from the Charlatans on Absolute Radio. teething from the charlatans on absolute radio from telling stories of course we should add in tim that there's a reissue because it's a yeah, 26 you, i mean it, the, the, this beggars bank would do a really good job of reissuing uh, our stuff and and uh, i think there was something for national album day or something mm-hmm. like that or there's definitely something for, for uh, there's a hmv version uh, recently yeah. and and i think a double album reissue you know a year ago or, or something like that that had you know that had uh, the original demo of don't need a gun and yeah yeah nice potentially laughing gravy that keep mentioning <laughs> I like to keep mentioning yeah. and uh, and uh, you know um, maybe alternate mixes of, of one to another that was remixed you know quite a few times by people and uh, I mean I actually think there, you yeah. could market laughing gravy to be honest if you think yes. about everything you've done with tea and oh everything. yeah you know, that's you could, a great idea could literally be laughing gravy I'd yeah. buy laughing gravy yeah, yeah. <laughs> cheer up a Sunday lunch <laughs> it's a great name for a dog uh, it is a great name for a dog also. But, I mean, many levels. I'm, I'm a fan. I, I'm, yeah, I'm invested. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Pass us the laughing gravy, Grandad. I mean, great. I don't know. Um, right, we're going to play uh, Get On It. We've got two more tracks uh, from Telling Stories uh, to get through. Um, I hear lots of Dylan inspiration yeah, throughout this one. Without a doubt. I mean, Martin... Um, I think said in an interview that it sounded like uh, you know Bob Dylan fronting the band or something like that. But I mean, I saw it as a lot of things really. I, I mean, the, the harmonica at the big in all the breaks yeah. gives a Dylan sort of like flavour. Yeah. 
I was listening to a lot of Gene Clark uh, uh, at the time, big, big fan of Gene Clark and, you know, the birds and his post-birds kind of um, solo stuff. Um, I really wanted it to be in, like, two sections. I, I think it's actually in three sections, but the idea of, like, a, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, just, like, a, a story unfolding lyrically about, you know, just day-to-day, day-to-day stuff, people going to work, people dreaming about the weekend people sort of like you know the weather just general stuff like that and then it turning into kind of like an outro where the band could sort of like really go for it um and they do it was a quite a last minute addition and i think um martin uh played the keyboards yeah yeah um fun to play live we did it a lot live uh certainly certainly around the time um we haven't played it live for a long time uh, we j- did just play with no shoes last last week, uh, uh, and that was fantastic. But you know, we don't play. We we played the singles from this album, but you know, hardly at all anything else. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, we have played. Uh, How can you leave us now and again? Uh, we don't play. You're a big girl now. We don't really play. Get on it, but mm. for no reason. Just you know, you play an album track when an album yeah, comes yeah. out yeah, most sure. of the time, yeah. and then play you know bigger songs later. But you know, for five, six, seven songs could come in any set list and people would know yeah. uh, from this album, I suppose. Yeah, I would say absolutely. Yeah. Let's hit play on this. This is Get On It from the Charlatans on Absolute Radio. We come to the final track, Tim, which is a very kind of emotive sort of bookend, I suppose, to this long play, and it's called Rob's Theme. And t- tell us about this, because you were kind of, you found it, didn't you, essentially? Yeah, um, so this is something else, like Area 51, uh, that Rob had been working on um, um, on his own, really, with, with Rick Pete, yeah. who was uh, um, the second engineer that we brought in. Uh, Rick was also in Candy Flip. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, him and Rob assembled audio that Rob had found on a reel-to-reel of him talking to, I think it was, I think it was his grandma or his aunt or something like that when he was a little boy, maybe just just learning how to speak, you know. Oh wow! Yeah. And it was, and he made this really nice kind of Fender Rhodes um, piece with his voice going through lots of echo and stuff like that but you, you know you could you could hear it really clearly and we came across it after it died so it, it just seemed like as we were making you know finishing the album with Martin Duffy and coming across bits that we didn't know had actually been happening it yeah. just it just became wow that would be an amazing end to this album because you know it's, we're going to dedicate the album to him obviously when it came out we just knew that everyone would be focusing on the events that had, that, that had happened leading up to the release and and it was just like a really nice way to end something that was so in your face. If, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like the album was full of big songs and singles that had done really well and, and this huge story um, to end it with something that was like actually very sweet 
And eternally immortalised on, on yeah, yeah, on exactly, the, on yeah. The files, which I, I think. I mean, I'm sure just... that would have crossed our mind as well. Uh, but yeah. you know, it sounded like a surprise then when he just said it. Yeah, it's amazing to hear a human voice. I think of someone that recording is just irreplaceable. It's isn't it? Shivers down my spine again at this moment. Yeah, I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think of him, um, and it's very often very fleeting, you know. Uh, um, uh, but it's kind of mad really you know I mean we didn't grow up together but as far as the band goes mm. you know um, you, you know I, I often travel to rehearse to see them and, and you know and I'd, I'd, I'd um, stay at Rob's and watch Beatles videos and listen to records and, and talk about you know how we were going to change the world you know and, and, and you know he went through a lot of things you know he he was uh, about to get divorced just before he died he'd been to prison uh he'd been voted the best keyboard player in the world by the rolling stone mm-hmm. uh we had um two number one records and the record that was about to come out was going to go to number one as well it's just like it was a lot you know mm. and um for him to just like disappear one night in the windy road sure. of monmouth uh, it's kind of still a shock yeah completely shocking that kind of suddenness of it all yeah yeah and that void must be so difficult and I, I really thank you so much for for being so sort of honest and talking so so freely um to me on the show today and i remember when we spoke about this before i said to you that it was an absolute triumph really to you all this record yeah, yeah. and i actually teared up a bit when i was saying this to you um a few weeks ago that this record was so unifying lyrically and musically for generations and all the ones that followed them to the, to the day that we still play this record. But I said to you at the time that it has such class and poise to it with the way that you all approached oh, the passing you. of Rob and how, it, how he is eternally immortalised on this record. I think it's just such a special album for that reason and I think it will be around forever. I really do. Well, It's an absolute triumph. Thank you, Danielle. That's really sweet. Um, we're going to close now. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Everyone keep listening, subscribing to Tim's uh, podcast (laughs) and the show here on Absolute Radio. We're going to close with Rob's theme. Thank you. Thank you. Rob's theme, concluding the listening party on Absolute Radio. Thank you to Danielle Perry for joining me for this very special listening party, going through the Charlatans Telling Stories album. As you know, every listening party, I like to recommend a few records that I've been listening to this past week. So, I've been listening to a track called Fleeting Future by Accuse Me, and that's been on repeat. It's really beautiful. Um, I mean, I, I, I think of Philip Glass when I think about it. Not that it's the same, but anything that reminds me of that is a good thing. Um, I've also been listening to Bill Evans, beautiful kind of jazz, uh, especially a track called Peace Peace. So that's P-E-A-C-E, P-I-E-C-E. And um, Sun Ra, 
listen to quite a lot. It's kind of like uneasy listening as opposed to easy listening. Um, I like to have it on quietly in the background. It makes me, you know, jump a lot. Uh, <laughs> when I'm just doing something that's kind of, you know, just ordinary things, you know, in, in my flat. Grace Jones and the track, I've done it again. I think it's from one of Grace's uh, biggest records. You know, it's just really beautiful song written by Marianne Faithful, and I've I've kind of looked for it by Marianne, um, and I don't know whether I don't know whether there's an actual recording of it. Uh, certainly not where I get my streaming from. <laughs> Every song in this episode of my listening party was taken from the Charlatans album Telling Stories. All tracks were written by Martin Blunt, John Brooks, Meeting Burgess, Mark Collins and Rob Collins. The album was released on Beggar's Banquet in April 1997. See you next time. Absolute Radio. Telling the story behind another iconic album with Tim Burgess. Get involved using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party.